Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, welcome, everyone, to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome and thank you. Yeah, we uh, we are continuing in the book of Deuteronomy today, and uh, we're going to be going the through misnamed book, the misnamed book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> the translation error named book. Yes, yes. <laughs> still so my favorite is. fact about Deuteronomy. It so is. Far. <laughs> It'll probably keep coming up. Um, and uh, we talked about that, in, I think, in the introduction episode. So if you missed that, you're right. like, wait, what? What, wait, what do you mean it's misnamed? Go back and listen to the introduction. At one point in Deuteronomy. No, 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 no. Okay. Don't oh, explain no, right. it to them again. Fine, fine. Because fine. then that's the hook to get them to yeah, go Yeah, you got to go back and listen episode. to it. Uh, and so we're in chapter 7, and uh, we're going to go through chapter 9. Although, um, 7 through, what is 11. it? 11. 11. Kind of form a literary unit. So essentially, Moses... That's the right character. I was going to say Abraham for a second. Yeah, Moses don't do that. is uh, kind of introducing uh, his people to a bunch of laws that are going to come in starting in chapter 12. And so he's kind of reorienting them around the first four of the Ten Commandments, saying, Be faithful to God. Remember what he's done for you. Do not forget him. Mm-hmm. Uh, let him be your God alone. And that's kind of like a theme from chapter six all the way to chapter 11. And it's really like, Trust God, remember God. Fear God, do what He commands, and then He yes. the commands afterwards. Yeah, if you read straight through seven through eleven, which I highly encourage you to do, so you I will. Do. Yeah, you will feel like it's a bit repetitive at times, where it's like, "Don't forget the Lord, remember the Lord, obey the Lord, love the Lord, because yeah. He loved you, He saved you, He rescued you." So remember the Lord, don't forget the Lord, and it feels very much. And that is, um, I think, the point of this whole right. passage is is like. Remember what the Lord has done for you so that your heart will love him and then you will obey him. Like, even that's though kind of so Deuteronomy yeah. means second law, and even though that's a mistranslation, it's actually kind of helpful here because in chapters 7 through 11, Moses is kind of expounding upon the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. Right. And then from 12 to 26, he's kind of expanding on the last six of the Ten Commandments. So there, it does make sense to name it that way, but like that's kind of what's happening here. He's expounding on Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor, uh, and don't have any idols before me. Keep yes. the Sabbath day. That's kind of where he's at right now with these five chapters. Right. Um, so, but before we, but now we're just going to kind of walk through these cycles because there's little. I, I hate Nuggets. this word. Yep, that's exactly the word I was going to say. <laughs> but little, it just little, it's little little tenders, little chicken t- gospel what? tenders, <laughs> gospel chicken tenders. Gospel tenders uh, is worse than gospel nugget. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. We found a worse one, but there are little nuggets in this little, passage um, that we just couldn't speed through chapters sweet, seven through eleven. Be- oh my gosh, you're still going <laughs> <laughs> uh, because there's just some really great stuff in here, and some things that should sound really familiar to you if you are a New Testament reader. Um, and so the first one I would want to point out is in chapter seven, verse six, uh, where God says, um, why he saved Israel, why he chose Israel over every other nation on the face of the planet. And that was not because 
they were more numerous than anyone else on the planet or more powerful. Uh, in fact, they were the smallest and fewest and weakest people group on the face of the planet. You're, and that's why God chose them. They, they are his treasured possession, like his prized people yeah. because they were the smallest. And then he goes on and says, because I love you. Yeah. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers. Right. Like why, why is Israel his people? Because, one, uh, you're the smallest. <laughs> Not because you're great. <laughs> you're the smallest. But two, I just love you. And three, I promise your father, your forefathers mm. that I would be true to you. Yeah. So it's really beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful picture into the heart of God that he loves the weakest and the smallest. Um, and not only loves them, but then like treasures them and possesses them and like holds them dear and close. Like it's just, this is a really it, tender passage. It is. And I just, I learned something today as I was studying this. The, uh, the people that Moses is speaking to are actually the firstborn that were passed over in Egypt. So from oh. the very beginning of these children's lives has been marked by God's love, his kindness, and particularly towards them as they were the fewest and the most oppressed. Like from the very beginning, like they have been passed over. Their lives have been nothing but grace because God passed over them by the blood of that lamb. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is amazing. It, so, okay. So the, the, the children in Egypt that should have died whenever the angel of the Lord came through and killed the firstborn of Egypt, they were passed over by the blood of the lamb. And like, and I'm remembering now, I think it's in Numbers. Um, it might have, it might have been in Leviticus. I can't remember when, when the first right, when the firstborn are ransomed. Do you remember that yeah, when they were bought? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he says, because I bought you in Egypt, so right. I own you now. And so all your firstborn need to be bought back from me, oh, you know, with money. Remember yeah. that? And yeah, so, yeah. Literally. He's like, you're my treasured possession. Like, I, <laughs> I bought you. I own you. You're my <laughs> possession. Like that, that's what happened whenever I ransomed you in Egypt I literally bought you for myself so like he is I think he's intentionally wanting these children now grown up who who remember the day the Lord saved their lives yeah and, he, and bought them like to, to be remembering even this. here so verse like, 9 oh, and 10 wow. know therefore that the Lord your God is is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments and verse 10 repays to their face those who hate him which is exactly what oh. happened to Pharaoh yeah. By destroying him, he will not be slack with one who hates him. Like mm. he's like saying, he's projecting into the future, like obey my commands. If you don't, you'll face punishments just like Pharaoh. Your life started with me passing over you, and it can continue that way as well. Hold fast to my commands. Wow. Yeah. And then, and so what's amazing then, it, I think it might be easy for us to go like, wow, God's like really kind and really beautiful. And that's really good for them. But what about yep. me? You know, and and when we turn the page into the New Testament, Peter in First Peter two nine ends up using this term for us as Christians, his church. Like he calls us the treasured yeah, yeah. possession of God because we have been bought not by the blood of a lamb, but by the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. And yes. so now we are this treasured possession. And he goes on to say, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Right. And so this yeah. chosen language here, you know, we might think like, well, Israel was chosen, but I was like, I don't know, like an afterthought if I'm a Gentile, right. you know, and it wasn't because you were particularly 
great, but it's right. because you were particularly needy. You were yes. fewest. God decided to love you. He is keeping a promise he made to people beforehand. And I think I, I was thinking about this because it says here that God chose Israel because they were fewest in verse Deuteronomy 9, 4. Oh, right. it says, not because they were righteous. Not because you yep. were righteous, but uh, I will thrust the other people out for being wicked. So I was thinking like there is an asymmetry to the way that salvation works. The way that we are saved is not by good works. Right. It's not by being righteous. It is by being needy, by being fewest, and by being God's prized possession. Mm-hmm. And because we are his prized possession, we obey and we enter into the promised land. But if we are wicked, we are cast out. So like, mm-hmm. it is not our good works that get us into heaven, but it is our wicked deeds that do cast us out of his kingdom. Oh, I understand. So like, do, do you see yeah. what I'm saying there? So like, yes. I think that's interesting. I thought that was interesting here, and it's true in the New Testament as well. Like, yep. We don't gain entrance into heaven by doing enough good deeds. Even in Revelation 21, those who are thirsty come, and the evil sorcerers, sexually immoral are cast right. out mm-hmm. like there is like it's the needy it's the weak it's the people who recognize that they are not righteous who are welcomed into the kingdom and yes. those who reject god's way who are cast out yeah There's i just funny. think that's really good news it's also helpful for why it might it, it might be hard for us to hold those things in tension where it's like well i know that if i'm wicked i you know i'll be cast out you know that kind of right. thing and it's like so therefore i must be good to be accepted yeah, yes. it's e- it's really hard for us to hold those things in tension. I mean, I whereas, was reading verse yeah, twenty twelve. It says, "And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep His covenant with you." So it sounds like super conditional. <laughs> yes. Do this, then you get entrance to the promised land. But actually, what comes before the doing this is being God's treasured possession. Wow. And like we always want to like short circuit those and put the good works before being a treasured possession. And that's not the way God's salvific economy entering into the new Eden works ever. Right. Not yes. even in the t- Torah. Like right. it's always been grace first, obedience second, and then you enter. Yes. Oh, I love that. And and I just think it's it's a really good reminder for us. And I think it should I think this should come and kind of gut check us as Christians and go, why why are you a Christian? It's not because you were particularly intelligent and figured out that you should put your faith in Jesus. It's not because you won the culture lottery and happy and happened to be born in a Christian family, right? It's not because um, you were smarter than your unbelieving siblings or, or like more spiritual than them. More righteous. You, right, more righteous. Yeah. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, if you're a Christian, it's because you were acutely in need of a savior. It you were about me. to die. <laughs> Of Kanye West's new album that just dropped. Yeah, I, I've listened to it a couple times. So, like the his song "Hands On." Yeah. So like, we could debate whether or not he's a true Christian, but he seems to be professing Jesus is Lord, yes. <laughs> Jesus is King, right. and he says, "You Christians are the first ones to judge me." That's right. Like I'm like, and it's, and it was like, it was like hard for me to hear. It was convicting for me to hear that because I'm like, ah, oh, really? You've been yeah. kind of a sinner your entire life. I have eight records. I, I listened to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Right. And you said I am a god, so like I'm pretty <laughs> unsure that you could actually be a Christian. But like he's right to rebuke me there because it's oh, not yes. based on Kanye's righteousness that no. he's a Christian. It's based on his neediness, which yes. is he actually admits in his album. Anyway, yeah, Israel no, Kanye in oh, our analogy. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh man, yeah. Okay, that's good. 
Um, okay, let's keep going to another famous statement in chapter 7. Um, 21, you shall not be in dread of them because the Lord will send hornets after them. That's I the thought. one I was definitely <laughs> referencing. Yes, I absolutely. I was like, that is the worst possible way to fight a war is to just be stung repeatedly by bees. You know what I've I've heard argued from this passage, though? Have you heard people use this to argue anything? No. Okay, so Gregory Boyd uses this okay. in his massive book. I don't the even want to say the name. God, something. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, I'm not even gonna. Say, I don't want to plug it, so I'm not saying the full name. <laughs> David doesn't like Bo- Greg Boyd. I like if, him as a Christian. If it wasn't as, as, a, as a as a believer and as a fo- fellow father of Jesus, I but love him. As a scholar, and as a scholar, I'm just. I'm not gonna recommend you read his books. Okay. Um, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think he'll be in heaven with me. Uh, I, I'm almost certain of it. Along but, with Kanye. Along with Kanye, hopefully. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but he uses this uh, whole passage to talk about how um, it was God's original plan to drive out the inhabitants not through violence, but to use things like hornets oh, and by earthquakes and by bees, oh, and that would drive them out. Or that, yeah, and and so and they huh. they were like. No, we're going to do it through our strength. But if you read it, it is super clear that those um, hmm. kind of extracurricular activities of God through sending hornets and stuff um, were not the primary thrust of the driving out. <laughs> yeah, I know. But we're, but we're like, oh, and then there'll be these dwindling pockets of Canaanites over here. Right. But don't worry about them. I'll go get them with hornets. You focus well, says, on the main fight. Right above, right above that. You're going to say, these nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? But remember, Pharaoh, I came down and sent, you know, hailstorms and fire and blood. Yeah. And I did all that. And now I'm going to do it again. And this time I'm going to send bees. Like, it's like, yeah. it's, it's from God's hand directly. And I don't think you can get away with saying, like, this is not, this is a violent act, even if it yes. is. From God. God sending or, bees. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is still. Or even if it's just act. a battle st- strategy. I, Etymological, not etym- what, what's that? What's the word for bugs? Like the scientific. Oh, entomology. Entom- entomological warfare is <laughs> a thing. Warfare. It's a thing. I didn't realize this, but like throughout a band history, name? it's called it. <laughs> like it's like it's a thing throughout history. People like would sit, like uh, put beehives on catapults and catapult them into cities. What? And like so, yeah, entomological warfare. There you go. Coming. Okay, that's not the passage I was thinking of, though. <laughs> it was definitely um, "Man does not live on bread alone." Oh yes, that one, <laughs> which is far more popular of a verse than "God will send hornets into their land." Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about "Man shall not live on bread alone." You want to read that in context? Do you have that pulled up? Yes. There? Uh, which verse do you want to start with? Oh, I don't know. Whatever mm. you whatever you feel like. What cha- is it? It's eight. It's oh, eight. it's eight, not seven. Not, that's why I couldn't seven. find it. Yeah. So it's yeah. Let's just start with uh, verse two. You shall shall remember. You'll go ahead. Yep. We can at the same time. time. (laughs) (laughs) And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you could keep His commandments or not. Pause right there. I think what He's doing is He's setting up the manna. It's He calls it a test. It's the same test Adam and Eve had in the garden between following God's commands. Oh, and not following it. his commands, his word, yeah. keeping his word, not keeping his word. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know 
that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from out of the mouth of God, which was the point of the Garden of Eden narrative. You cannot live by the tree of the fruit alone, only by the word of God, which was yeah. do not eat that fruit. So I think this is actually Israel's, it was Israel's test. It was their test on the border of, of Eden. Can yeah. they enter in? And they failed it. Um, but it's also the same test is before us right now. Like, Life and death, blessing and cursing. Like right. what Moses ends up doing is he pulls this thread all the way to chapter 30 and he gives the new generation the same test the old generation had and the same test Adam and Eve had on the border of the garden. Will you choose life or death? The word of God or your own opinion of what the word of God should be and should, wow. should do. So I yeah. think that's metal level I think what's happening. Exactly what I was about to say. I think that is what we could call maybe the canonical context of this passage. I think the immediate context of the passage, which does not at all, is not meant to be at odds with what you just said, because I think it's 100% right, um, is... It even describes is, the fact here that he clothed them. So just like God clothed Adam and Eve oh after uh, right. the fall, uh, he clothed them after their failure to eat the manna in the wilderness. Like, it's yep. like, anyway, continue. That's crazy. So, but uh, in, the, in the immediate context, he's talking about um, whether or not you will obey God's commands. And if you obey them, it will be life for you. If you disobey them, it will be death for you. And he's like, now think about this. When you think about how you sustain your life, uh, what do you think about? Especially as a nomadic tribe living in the wilderness, you think food and we survive on manna. Like manna is life to us. And, um, and we often think like, hunger like like hunger is life and like eating is life and if i'm going to sustain my life i need to eat but what god is trying to prove to them in this little beautiful saying that man does not live on bread alone but by everything that comes from the mouth of god is is that it's not bread is not life to you that 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 sustains your physical body true life and what will really sustain you and what will really lead to ultimate flourishing and ultimate life is obeying my commandments is yeah. keeping my commands. That is life to you. The manna um, is yeah. also the word of God. It's so like, and what is right. lost in the garden is restored by the Torah. When you obey the words of the Torah, you gain the garden. Like, I oh, think that's, I does that, that makes sense. Let me, uh, kind of, let me piece, let me, let me repeat it back. Did I, so when yeah. we obey the commandments of God in the wilderness, we also get the garden which is being like what, like foreshadowed by God providing food in manna? Well, it's uh, the the test was eat the manna at the appropriate time. Right, not on the Sabbath. Don't hoard it up. Don't get too much. Yeah, okay. The same way it was like, do not eat of this tree, eat of the other trees. That's what will sustain you, not this disobedience. And so when we eat of the manna, the word of God, the law of God, we would have stayed in the garden. If Adam and Eve would have eaten the manna of the other trees in the garden and not what they decided, they would have stayed in the garden. Here too, when they trust the manna of God, the word of God, the law of God, mm -hmm. to eat the manna in its proper time, they will enter the garden. For the new generation, it means that when you obey the word of God, as I've laid out in the commands, in the, in the book of Leviticus, in the Torah, you will enter into the garden as well. Does that make sense? That that, yeah, that, that's making more sense. So what's crazy then, if I'm hearing you right, is that obedience to God is akin to feasting, like eating, and yeah. it's a good thing. Like come yeah, yeah. and eat free food that came from heaven. It's just here. And maybe like take a double portion on Friday so you can just chill out on Saturday on the Sabbath. Yeah. Like that was the commandment. 
I made a whole garden for you. Yeah. Go enjoy it. Eat it. This doesn't sound like a burdensome command to me. It just sounds like good news. Right. And that is keeping the commandments of God. We don't, but we don't view the commandments and laws of God like that. We view them as restrictive and prohibitory and like they're going to weed out life for us. They're going to make yeah, yeah, it yeah. make life not worth living. But no, he's saying following the Torah and the commands that are set out for you in it is like is like eating the the harvest of a whole garden which is why when Jesus does this miracle in John 6 there are 12 baskets of leftovers like there is a feast found in the word of God man can't just eat bread he must right. eat bread and the word of God in order to survive like and, it, and what happened in Israel they ate the bread they ate the manna but did not eat the word of God and mm. experienced exile. So right. we as Christians looking to Jesus must eat the bread that he provides, which he says is his own body, yes. but also him as the word of God, the Torah incarnate. Mm. So he, which um, is, so John says Jesus is the word of God. And so I was trying to think like a really concrete picture of that, but I think it's just communion. In communion, you do not eat bread alone. You eat bread and the word of God. His blood shed for you, the blood yeah. and the wine. It's a symbol that we do not eat, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Jesus' yeah. body and his blood. Right. And it was a test to see what was in their hearts. And so like, um, you know, in John 6, most scholars agree this is probably not pointing to communion itself. At, at no. least it's a peripheral thing. It's definitely a secondary meaning. Communion it, is about John 6. John yes. 6 is not about communion. That's a good way to put yeah. it. And so, um, you know, it, but this whole eating the flesh of Jesus is is paralleled in John 6 with believing that he is the word of God from eternity past, like believing who he is, believing that he is the ultimate manna from heaven that will sustain us. And so like believing in him is not living on bread alone, but by the word that came from the mouth of God. Yes. The, yeah. The, the other thing we have to talk about is Jesus's temptation. In yeah, Matthew we do. Four. Uh, just yeah. to back up what you just said, De Deuteronomy 9 verse 22, Moses tells the, the people, the main sin in all this was your lack of belief in God. It's like, that's exactly what oh, you said. Like, yes, Moses points us back to there. It's like disobedience. Yes. But really, a lack of faith. Like you did not take God at his word. You did mm. not trust the word of God. And as a symptom of that distrust, you therefore disobeyed. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Um, okay. So then Jesus, God, I think, yes. I think the reason why this passage is famous is because of the temptation of Jesus yes, in, yes, 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 yes. according to Matthew four. So Jesus is, is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which is incredibly significant to a Torah reader. Just like Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, <laughs> which we will read about in the coming chapters. He's yes. going to recount this story to us. So uh, we're meant like Jesus knew what the story he was pulling on, obviously. And he's it's fasting like for 40 days, 40 nights, for and the tempter years. comes to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and so um, and so the tempter comes to him and and the first temptation he brings to him in Matthew four is, I don't know, maybe take that stone and turn it into bread. You know, Moses was able to take a stone, strike it, and make water out of it. Why don't you take it and make some bread? And, like, yep. the, the the big question I always asked was, like, would that have been sinful if that for Jesus to make bread out of a rock? Like, I don't think so. In that so. moment, well, it's not sinful for Jesus to use his power, but what's, the test isn't about eating or not eating. It's about trusting right. God. Yes. So for Jesus to make the bread in that moment 
would be to say, I do not trust God to provide for me. Mm -hmm. So I will take it upon myself, just like the people of Israel did when they gathered more bread than they should have. So if Jesus was to make the bread, he would have been repeating the sins of Israel. So what does he do? He gives them Moses advice. No, man shall not eat by bread alone, but but by the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. I will obey the commandments surrounding the manna, and I will only eat what the Father gives me. Yes. Oh, that's good. That's really. I don't good. think yeah. I've heard it that clearly either. Between like the disobedience with the manna and Jesus' obedience, I don't. That was helpful for me. That's very helpful loud. for me. Yes. Um. And so you know, the, like the the point we're making here is to, you know, that 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 following God's commandments is is like, um obeying him in the garden of Eden. It's like obeying him in the wilderness to enter the promised land. These are like the big crucial pillar moments throughout the old Testament that were meant to be the cat, like the catalytic moments that brought people into final eternal communion with God in the garden of Eden and Adam and Eve failed and Israel and Moses failed. And now there's a new person in a new wilderness offering, but, but being offered the same temptation Yes. And he succeeds where everyone else failed, right? Yes. But it's not that he succeeded in not giving in just to Satan's temptation, right? He ended right. up passing the test that every yes. other heart failed to pass, that he would yes. trust in God alone and his word and his promises above everything else. And for that, he earns us victory over this this fall, this temptation, yeah. like, and brings us into an eternal promised land with him. Have you read the Space Trilogy by C.S. Oh, Lewis? Oh, many times, many it's times. So good. And in the second one, Paralandra. Oh, yes. Lewis imagines that there is another creation and fall story happening on Venus, Venus. right? It's yep, Venus. Venus. And so there's a, a Venetian Eve and a Venetian Adam, and then. Well, there's a, no. Well, there's kind of a Venetian Adam. He's like he's hardly present at all. Yeah, he's always well, aloof. There. Well, anyway, it ends up happening. The same story plays out with another deceiver. Yep. in the garden and he passes the test in Ven- on Venus and I was like that is so brilliant of him but he just stole it from the bible like that story is <laughs> being repeated in different eras throughout history it's like oh that's just a biblical idea and he just yep. put it on different planets huh anyway that was just yeah definitely way. yeah definitely you should read yeah, it. like, it's de- it's delightful if yeah if you have not read CS Lewis's space trilogy out of out of the silent planet Paralandra and that hideous strength or as i like to call it that hideous length because it it's, it's long it's, it's longer and it's, it's odder. It is odd. Yeah, yeah. O-D-D-E-R. Apparently, he, apparently, he like um, each one of his science fiction books is patterned after a different genre of science fiction. Yeah. So I think the first time. one was H.G. Wells. Yep. Uh, Paralandra. Uh, I can't remember which. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But anyway, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the space trilogy. Absolutely okay. wonderful. Okay. Um. So let's. I want to make one more comment about mm-hmm. this section, and then we'll we'll look um at at maybe. Nine. What's after this? But yes, but um, this little statement here: uh, "Your sandals did not wear out, neither did your feet swell during your forty years in the wilderness." Like when I read that, I was like, "It seems like one of those things that God had to literally point out to the people," and then they were like, "Oh, you're right! Like my sandals are still like fine after miles and miles and years and years of wear and tear." My sandals are still like perfectly fine. And yeah, you're right. My feet never got sore and like my, they never swelled up and they never, I never got like a leg rash because of all the walking. It's such an amazing, like tiny miracle that God did. And I, I, it reminds me of those times where 
I'll, I'll, I'll realize this, like the minute sustaining power of God in all things. And I'm like, oh, right. It's God who right. keeps the tide where it is. You know, like just little things where you're just like, oh, yeah, God did that. And like God sustains that. It's just what I just think it's so cool. I keep thinking in my mind, like, OK, well, if this is a, a hyperlink back to Eden when God clothes them with um, the animal skin, I, I thought verse five was a strange verse. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you right after the fact that he clothes them it's like your oh, sandals right. didn't wear out i gave you i was like oh the whole point of the clothes in eden was actually part of god's discipline yes. it was grace but it was also discipline towards them this not is not the way that things should be so here have these clothes and in the same way god's mercy and grace towards them in the desert can also act as a type of discipline towards them like i provided for you do not neglect the grace that i have showed you like, does that make sense? Yeah. Another way to say it, another way to say it is when God clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of the animal and kicked them out of the garden, he clothed them um, so they could no longer be naked and unashamed. He clothed them to go be out in the fallen world. Like being yeah. out in the fallen world is punishment, but right. there was a small bit of grace in that they were covered. Yes. In the same way, when, when Israel was given shoes that never wore out, um, they because still had... They still yeah. had to keep walking for 40 years. Yeah, like it's the still, they yeah, failed it's still the test and were walking yeah. out. Yeah. Still part of the punishment. Like he gave them, uh, you know, magic shoes, but the magic shoes were there so that they could continue walking in their punishment. And the so, point yeah, stands. It, yeah. God provides for our needs, all of them, from creation to walking in the wilderness. God is providing for us constantly. And the call from Moses each and every time is do not forget the Lord your God. Do not forget the Lord your God. Have no other gods before him because he's the only God who will do this. Yeah, I think it's amazing that God provides for us even in the times when he's disciplining us. Which is the thing that we're most prone to forget. Yes. like We could probably maybe look back and see the times that God was good to us in just like big ways. The birth of my children. but. Right. If you were to look back in that week that was really hard, week three of my third baby, like yeah. I probably wouldn't remember any good thing from that time. Yeah. And that's where it starts. Like our forgetfulness starts where our sinfulness begins and we need to be vigilant constantly. That's why Moses over and over again, do not forget. Yep. You will prone to forget. The more you have, the more prone you'll be to forget. Don't forget. Anyway. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, even in even in week three of your third kid, you're probably not going to remember the fact that, oh yeah, but Gloria did sleep. You right. know, and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like we did have people did bring us some food. And there were probably probably some other sweet moments that God gave me magic sandals, even whenever I had to walk around the wilderness. You know, I just think yep. that's cool that God provides us provides for us uh even in the midst of discipline. Okay, and you, you just said something else, too, that I, I just want to touch on before we move to chapter 9. You, you said, like, Moses is constantly saying the same thing. Do not forget. Do not forget. Do not forget. And the reason he's saying that is because they are about to enter into a land that is just full of comfort. Like, he describes it in chapter 9 like there are rocks in this land that you could go to and just pluck out handfuls of copper. Like it's yep. like a magical land. There's yeah, in chapter six there. you talk yeah. about like vineyards you didn't plant, yes. houses you didn't build, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, totally. Yeah. And he says, so when you go and you get comfy and you get rich, be careful because you will forget. And so uh, he's saying that there is something innate in comfort and wealth and provision that um, 
causes us to forget God. And I think it's meant to be in stark ju juxtaposition with this whole story of manna in the wilderness, because the manna in the wilderness was a day-to-day -day provision, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and they yeah, were yeah. dependent, hand to mouth. They were hand to mouth. And then now uh, when they go in, they'll, they'll have enough and like, yeah. they'll be able to store some stuff up in their barns and you know, like, it's going to be way different than the wilderness years and they Beware won't have less you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Yeah. That's yeah. The... They, yeah. They won't have this like innate cycle of dependence that reminds them of their own need and their own weakness. It gives Instead, me such yeah. better visuals for the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. And it's the root of all evil because it's the root of disbelief, at least in Israel's history. Yeah. Israel had wealth and it caused them to forget God, which led them to idolatry, which led them to further sin and eventually exile. The love of money isn't just philosophically the root uh, of all evil. Yes. It's, it's the narratival. actual narratival truth of Israel's history. Your love of money has led you to be conquered by Rome. Like yeah. it is the root of all evil. Yeah. So I just think it's a good warning for us then, um, you know, even there on the lips of Jesus, you know, where it's like, let's just, especially if we're, if you're listening to this and you're a Western Christian who has the capabilities to listen to a podcast on your iPhone, like you definitely qualify for this warning as do Seth and I, that we must be careful that we do not grow so comfortable that we forget God. Now, what he does not say is, you, you know, you're going to go into this land and it's going to be super blessed. So don't enjoy any of the blessings. It's evil to enjoy a vineyard that you did not plant. That's not yeah. what he says. He says, he says, he says, just, just be careful. He says, remember me. He says, remember, remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers. Like if you have wealth, great, but it comes from God. Yes. Don't like assume you have that's from you. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar says ah, it yes. in the book of Daniel. He's like, look what I've created by my hand and what I've done for the glory of my majesty. And he goes insane in the next, the next chapter because <laughs> he's like, he goes against this right here. It is the root yes. of all evil. Yeah, totally. Good. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring up that warning. Um, and how do we fight complacency and forgetfulness and comfort? Uh, we fight it by remembering God's faithfulness because that's what happens for the rest of chapter eight. He says, just remember that I brought you out of Egypt and I saved you and I provided for you. So just like thankfulness is the antidote for complacency. So just yeah. re rehearse the gospel to yourself. Like remember that Jesus died for your sins and that you were a nobody from nowhere going nowhere until that God Jesus has for you. created the world and he's making a new one for you and that everything that you have even now, even if it's an iPhone, came from God. You yes. don't ultimately have ownership of that thing. Like that's, right. that's the heart of true thankfulness is to know that all things come from God. Yep. Okay. One other thing, and hopefully this can just be a quick note, but I just want to touch it. Um, it said, I think this is at the top of chapter nine. He says, poke. A Facebook remember, poke. Remember those? Poke. Do yep, still little, do that? I don't know. I don't get on Facebook. But okay. here's a little Facebook poke. If this is outdated, sorry, we're dinosaurs. 
but um i mean we don't even know if it's actually a thing so i think we're we're on the we're on the cutting edge like we're so out of touch with facebook because that's we've moved on that's right that's right (laughs) uh we're not old we're progressive yeah exactly i love that exactly that's that's the lie i'm gonna tell myself um and so at the top of chapter nine i believe it says it talks about how when you're gonna you're gonna enter into the land and and you there's going to be these towering cities and the sons of anakim right and uh and and don't be afraid of them and i just wanted to mention this again because uh mainly because it's been an obsession of seth and i to speculate and study (laughs) who are the giants who are the giants uh and if you'll if you'll remember if you want to go back to our numbers 13 podcast we talk about this more more at length about were there the spiritual descendants of the nephilim from genesis uh living in this land and so (laughs) I'm not going to go into detail. I just want to point out one quick it's thing because like, we we settled it in teaser. I think between us we we settled it back in Numbers 13 at least for our our conscience. Yeah, yeah, we settled it for ourselves, but maybe no other scholar. That's would, right. Absolutely uh, right. Think yeah, the same. But, but yes, it's brought up here again. So he says, "Hero Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in and dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you. Cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak." Yeah. And so, what I wanted to point out here is that what I think Moses is doing at the top of Deuteronomy nine is he is is using heightened language to overemphasize the enemy that they are about to go face just mm-hmm. like the older generation did back in numbers 13 they overinflated oh, and spread yeah, yeah, rumors yeah. that oh man these are the descendants of the nephilim these are the sons of anakim they're giants there can't defeat them yeah you we can't defeat them and he's like look they are like let's say they are greater and mightier let's say that they're even the sons of anakim in fact let me quote as you have heard it said these are the sons of anak he's quoting the older generation yeah, but he's yeah. using all this hyperbolic language. He's saying, yeah, and their cities are fortified all the way up to heaven. Like they're higher than the skies. Like he's using really inflated language. And I think he's doing this in order to show the power of God to use this weak nation to defeat a mightier nation. Maybe not the spiritual descendants of the Nephilim, but even if they were, like God's power would crush them. Know because- therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. Yep. He will destroy them. Exactly. So I just think yeah. it's meant to magnify the power of God and the weakness yeah. of Israel. So good. anyway, just good wanted deep, to touch it. Good deep poke right there. Like- little, deep, little Facebook poke. Um, okay. um, so, and it's good that you brought up that he's quoting the old generation because what happens throughout chapter nine is a rehearsal of all the times that Israel has been faithful. Faithless, yes, faithless throughout their time in the wilderness, not only on the border of Canaan, but also at the foot of Mount Sinai with the, the golden calf. Like Israel has a history of not believing God, even though God is faithful to him. Yes. Um, and well, this is where we're caught. We'll end the podcast today. But the story continues in 10 and 11 with the giving the second giving of the table uh, of the Ten Commandments and like the resolution to Israel's faithlessness. And it ends in God's faithfulness towards them again. Yes. So anyway, right now for this moment, we're kind of like drilling down on what precisely was going on in the heart of Israel that made them disbelieve over yeah. and over and over again. And I think why is this here, this little narrative um, turn into 
let's focus on how faithless you were, Israel, and how terrible you were and how messed up you were. It's because um, there is this statement that Seth's already talked about that, um, that, that Moses is warning them. When you go into the promised land and you have all this military victory and you get all this wealth, remember, it's not because of your righteousness. It's because of their wickedness. And we talked about that a little bit, yep. but it just reminded me of Romans 9, um, where you get these two things. Um, Romans 9, 11 says, uh, so actually, sorry, let me back up. There's two things yeah, God yeah. says here in, in, in chapter nine. He says, it's because of their wickedness and because I um, made a covenant to your forefathers. So it's my faith, faithfulness to the covenant and because I want to punish the wicked. And that's the same reasons that Paul gives in Romans chapter 9 for this thing that we call um, election, is that God chose some and didn't choose others. And like that's the same language that's being used here in chapter 7 and chapter 9 of Deuteronomy. He's like, I chose you out of all the nations. Why? Because you were weak and not because you were righteous. And, and so in and Romans Paul's 9... Paul's literally in Romans 9 talking about God's choosing of Israel like yes, as a nation. Like he's, exactly. he's giving his commentary on Deuteronomy. God's yes. explaining why he's chosen Israel. And Paul's saying, remember how God chose Israel? Like that's, he's yep. talking about this passage. Yes. And when he does, he gives the same two reasons. In Romans 9, 11, he says, so that God's purpose for election may continue, which was his faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's so that he might show his faithfulness to um, choose people despite their unrighteousness and despite their weakness. Yeah. And then the second reason, Romans 9, 22, it's because God desires to show wrath to the evildoer because he wants to show himself as a good judge, as someone who rights wrongs and upholds justice. And so it's the same reasons given for why do some yeah. believe and are some Christians and others aren't. It's because God is faithful to the weak and he wants to punish the evil. And yeah. like, Wherever you stand on predestination election, like I think we can all get around those ideas that God is yeah. faithful and that God punishes evil. Yeah. So that's exactly anyway. right. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. I was going to say something, but I forgot. So okay. Well, good. That's always a good place to end a podcast is on a on, on forget. Don't forget. <laughs> that, that's what that, that's what it was. Do not forget. Don't forget. Uh, that's it. Oh, don't got forget. It. Oh man. Yeah. Don't forget. Well, anyway, we'll finish up this little pericope of scripture um, next week with uh, chapters ten and eleven. And then we'll, uh, we'll keep plugging away at uh, Deuteronomy. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll yeah. see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.